Welcome one and all to episode 131 of the original Draft Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Cox. With me tonight, my co-host, Justin Higdon. And Justin, Monday Night Football is a barn burner, and college football is in disarray. We, again, our very, uh, our kiss of death happened once again. Uh, But there's a lot to talk about tonight. Regarding the 2022 NFL Draft, uh, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well. I uh, took a quick trip back home to Columbus, Ohio over the weekend for uh, the baptism of my fifth godchild. My sister had another baby, so congrats to her and her husband, and uh, it was nice to see the fam, but uh, back at it. It was a nice weekend also planning on her part because there was no Ohio State game on Saturday, so cheers to my sister and her husband for that planning. Um, shake up in the top five. We had Iowa number two for a long time. Iowa gets knocked off by Purdue, who casually comes around every couple of years and knocks off the number two team in the country in a humiliating, season-destroying fashion. They did it to Ohio State back in 2018, and they did it again to Iowa, leaving no doubt Iowa cannot stay in the top five after being destroyed by Purdue like that. So we have Georgia number one still, and we, we won't uh, we'll, we won't uh, spend too much time on the top five this week, but Oklahoma moves up to number two for us, Cincinnati at number three, and then things get interesting. So I had Michigan down for, for number four. They had a bye week, but they're still undefeated. Yeah, and I think it's a fair – I think it's a fair place to put Michigan right now. Number five is tough, and I think we can toss it in the air and make a call. But right now, I think it's Michigan State. Um, it's gonna it's gonna settle itself, as we've talked about. I think Ohio State's probably the second best team in the country or third best team in the country, but. I don't know if you can put them ahead of an undefeated Michigan State, and I don't know if you can put them ahead of an undefeated Oklahoma State, who kind of served notice to the Big 12 that the they call it Bedlam, right? <laughs> Bedlam right. is going to be uh, must-see TV, hopefully. Like, Of course, we're going to talk about Oklahoma State in the top five, so... They'll probably get beat this weekend by uh, unranked Iowa State. Yeah, and we're talking about uh, more about that game on our Patreon show this week when we preview the Saturday games. So, yeah, Ohio State, Oklahoma State, uh, Michigan State. You could throw Alabama into the mix. The AP still has Alabama fifth, even though they lost to an unranked team at the time. But now A&M's back and, and ranked. So, um, you know, if, you're, if we're being realistic with ourselves and, like, the caliber of players, I think we'd say Georgia, Bama, Ohio State are still the top three teams in the country. But to be fair in terms of these rankings, I think we, we do have to put an undefeated team there. Um, interestingly, Oklahoma State is is a seven-point underdog on the road at Iowa State this week. Uh, Iowa State, a team that started out in the top ten. And then Michigan State, we saw they – came away with a tight win over Indiana last weekend. So it's hard for me to to put those teams ahead of Ohio State or or Alabama, but 
fair is fair. So we'll go ahead and stick with your call and put Michigan State in the top five for now. But we've always talked about this. The Big Ten's going to sort itself out through attrition. We saw Penn State get knocked out by Iowa. Iowa gets knocked out by Purdue. Michigan State and Michigan are guaranteed to be knocked out by Ohio State or knock each other out. So uh, that's my my thoughts on this right now. Yeah, and I'm with you. I think I think that they're both good teams. I don't, and I don't. I honestly don't know what the college football playoff situation is uh, in terms of where games are played. But just from you know the historics of it, if if Ohio State ends up winning the Big Ten as you and I expect them to, the Michigan Michigan State game is probably going to determine who goes to the Rose Bowl. Would you not say that? Uh, it, it, it seems that way right now, but they both have, you know, they have to play each other and they both have to play Ohio State. So there's still a shot for the Western team. And, you know, Iowa say they went out. They've only lost one game to Purdue and then they lose in the uh, Big Ten championship to Ohio State. That then they would be the Rose Bowl team, right? Because they'd be the Big Ten runners up. The problem Michigan and Michigan State both have is they're in the same division as Ohio State. Same with Penn State. So the East is stacked. The West, as usual, is uh, the stepchild of the Big Ten. And but Iowa still has a shot to get into into the Rose Bowl. They just can't lose another game until they get to the Big Ten championship. Speaking of Iowa, they decided to lay an egg in a game against Purdue and. A name we mentioned a couple weeks ago uh, back on our show on 922. So if you guys want to go back and listen to that, we discussed wide receiver rankings for the 2022 NFL draft. And not to, you know, pat ourselves on the back or anything, but David Bell of Purdue had a game for the ages against Iowa. Uh, Bell finished with 11 catches for 240 yards and a touchdown on Sunday. The 240 yards were a career high in a single game. He has 38 receptions for 679 yards and four touchdowns this season. He's averaging literally just under 18 yards per catch at 17.9. Are we not, I mean, after where Rashad Bateman went in, in 2021, are we not discussing David Bell enough in this class? I think people compare, I've seen people compare Bell to Bateman. And I think that's, I think Bell's a little bit better of a prospect. I think he's a little bit thicker built. And I think he's a little bit better of an athlete. Um, And for whatever reason, I mean, Iowa is, uh, they have a very, very good defense this year. And pretty consistently year in and year out, they're a pretty good defensive program. But Bell owns them. In three, three games against Iowa, has uh, 35 catches for 558 yards and five TDs. So three times he's faced Iowa in his career, and he's just dominated them every time. 16 yards of catch in those games. Uh, yes, Iowa was without their star cornerback, Riley Moss. So Matt Hankins was uh, guarding Bell frequently, and he just – another good corner that we've talked about, and he was just not up to the task, and Bell – just really owned Iowa that day. So it's not like we haven't seen good secondaries get bullied by good receivers in the Big Ten in the past. Um, and that doesn't, it's not to take away from those corners. 
uh, sometimes the corner is going to have a bad day. That's that's just a fact of, of the position. But um, I think Bell, strangely, doesn't get uh, talked about over like a guy like Traylon Burks at Arkansas. Who's ha- another guy having a great season, but uh, he just had that – he was kind of gifted at that top five positioning. We had Bell over Burks at the time. I think that was – not very common and uh but i feel pretty comfortable about about that ranking and i like where we did uh skill player rankings on 922 and i feel like they've held up pretty well since then you know there might be a couple i I was gonna say if anything we may have sold like a drake london a little short well we had him at wide receiver three and we talked about him last year so what where are you going to put him over garrett wilson or chris olave it's a pick your flavor situation, right? Because London is is the big receiver in this class. Burks is built like we we talked about how Burks is built like Julio Jones or Lavisca Chenault. Which one is he more similar to? Um, he's starting to get more downfield targets recently. So, I mean, I don't think he's Julio Jones though. So no. Bell kind of fits in between size-wise from those Ohio State guys and these big guys, London and Burks. Bell's probably about 6'2", about 210, uh, which puts him about 20 pounds bigger than Bateman was when he weighed in for for the draft. So I like Bell. I like where we have him in our rankings, and, and I feel pretty good about our entire top five, honestly. They're all playing really, really well. When you look at names to watch there are two linebackers at a at a small you know non-power five conference and that's uh richard juvenor who's the troy linebacker he's an auburn transfer so he's got the recruited recruiting pedigree um and javon solomon who's a third year freshman so Jubinor is a fourth-year sophomore. Solomon is a third-year freshman. But, man, these guys look like they've got the juice to play on Sundays, especially Ju- uh, a Jubinor who we know was a freak coming out of uh, out of high school. Yeah, I, I, I haven't heard people talk about these guys, but they're tied for, for second in the FBS and sacks. Um, according to ESPN and uh, College Football Reference, they have seven and a half sacks apiece on the year so far. And it's still pretty, you know, we're, we're about halfway through the season at this point. Um, they're both listed on Troy's roster as Bandit. So we know that the Bandit position is kind of a stand-up edge player slash linebacker. You'll see these guys both drop into coverage from time to time. But primarily their job is going to be to stay close to the line of scrimmage and get after the quarterback. And they're both really good at it. So they're tweeners because they're undersized pass rushers, but they have the athleticism to get into coverage. So it's kind of a Hassan Reddick situation, except both these guys are a little taller than that. Um, you talked about Jubinor's athleticism. He, along with the seven and a half sacks, he's got a couple of interceptions. And uh, the one he had against Georgia Southern where he um, – He's, he runs back to the ball down the right sideline after the ball's thrown, and he, he catches the the incomplete pass off a tip and makes a diving interception. A really athletic play. He ran a 4-7 out of high school at 206 pounds, and he was a two-time high school state champ in the 300-meter hurdles. He also played soccer and, and basketball. 
this guy was a four star, a four sport star in high school. Like you said, goes to Auburn, transfers after one season there, and now at Troy, he's starting to establish him, himself as a star in the group of five. Yeah, he's a uh, super super sophomore. Solomon's right. an interesting, you know, third year freshman. He's I mean, I don't expect either of these guys. Jubinor, maybe. I don't expect Solomon to declare for the draft. Um, we don't have numbers on him, but he's playing at a at an incredibly high level as well. They list him at 246, which makes him a little more interesting um, in terms of, you know, what he's doing because at that size, he may be able to stay on the edge. Right. They, they could probably beef him up a little bit. To, to stay on the edge, but he's he's an athletic guy too. We don't know the the numbers on him, but you can see when he is asked to go into coverage that he's no slouch in terms of speed. Like he he's a fast guy, and the the thing is these guys both get their sacks from being moved around. You'll see him standing up, uh, kind of blitzing from a middle linebacker spot sometimes. Sometimes they're coming off the edge, usually in the, in the uh, stand up two point stance, but they're still. I think they're both athletic. I, I actually think both might declare because, you know, Troy just didn't bother changing the, the uh, eligibility designation on their school roster. But both both players are are very productive and both, like you said, more than three years out of high school by the time the season's over. So Juvenile, I would be surprised if he doesn't because um, being in a, a fourth-year player and being this productive. But it – on the other hand, there's no buzz around these guys yet. The tastemakers haven't got to them, so we'll see if that happens. If it doesn't, then it could push both guys back to school next year. One name that we've been banding about, you and I have, um, and and we decided to bring up this week, is Western Michigan quarterback Caleb Ellaby. He's listed as a fourth-year sophomore. He is a senior, base for all intents and purposes, or a redshirt junior, however you want to look at it. He played in 2018, redshirted in 2019 when the the returning starter slash senior came back after an injury, and then played only six games in 2020, and now is kind of the guy this year. Um, you know, this season. His numbers are good. 62% passer, eight, a little over eight yards per attempt, 12 touchdowns, only two interceptions, only seven rush yards, but he's got two touchdowns on the year. They list him at 6'1", 210. He's, he's a little stout, but he, he's, he's got stocky. a... stocky. He's stocky, yeah, right? He's got a big arm. Uh, he's not a runner by any means. But he moves really well in the pocket and keeping uh, plays alive. When you look at him, when you look at his game, I went and watched the whole Michigan game today. Um, I had a I had a couple of thoughts. The first one I had was, you can see the arm talent. Like he makes a lot of throws that are just impressive flat out um and the help around him is not is not great um i'm not 
sure anybody would be surprised by that. I mean, it's Western Michigan. They're not a bad program by any means, but you're not talking about a ton of, you know, draft-eligible prospects every season coming out of there. He, uh, But he leaves a lot of gimmies on the field, and, and that's where I... I always get concerned about quarterbacks is is not their wow throws because I feel like their wow throws are the easiest to get impressed by, right? Um, instead, it's when they miss throws that you're like, well, this is this is a play that you have to hit consistently, or it's gonna you know you're never gonna make it in the league. Um, and, and and you and I talked about it before. We'll, we'll give the comp at the end. But what are your thoughts on Ellaby? So I I was also impressed by his arm. And uh, I want to be fair. We heard on on uh, Twitter from Tony Pauline that Ellaby's considering declaring for the draft. That was a surprise to us. And I know there are probably some hardcore people out there that think this shouldn't be a surprise. Draft next should have been on Ellaby. But again, you're talking redshirt sophomore. Who only played five games as a freshman and then six games last year, right? And last year he was the guy, but it was a short max season. Didn't start till mid-November. So, um, yeah, maybe he wasn't on our radar. Maybe should have been. But... Uh, it doesn't seem like he's on anybody's radar except for Tony Pauline's. And Tony Pauline is telling everybody uh, as of October 9th that LB is thinking about declaring for the draft. So that's why we decided to watch him this week. We've talked about quarterbacks over and over. That's what we do during the regular season on this show because it's that's what people are. That's who people are watching. That's who people are into. Uh, LB was a new name to us on the draft radar for 2022. And when we looked further into it, saw that he was a fourth year collegian, even though like, like Troy, Western Michigan didn't, didn't uh, update eligibility. They're going with that red shirt, red shirt, sophomore designation. Um, yeah. So not to, I, I feel like I'm beating around the bush right now, but back to actually watching him big arm. Like you said, he keeps plays alive. Uh, he's athletic enough that I'm surprised he doesn't run a little bit more. It's kind of like how we talked about Sam Howell coming into the season where we weren't sure about his athleticism, and then he became a running quarterback this year. LB looks like he has the ability to be a better or a more productive runner, but that's just not what he's asked to do in the Western Michigan offense. So one of the things I noticed in that Michigan game that you talked about was how many times they asked him to throw – across the field outside the numbers and uh, that he had the arm to do it. Yeah, and, then, and and when we talk about arm strength, you and I, that's usually what we're talking about more than anything else is is the that that kind of NFL 17-yard uh, opposite hash comeback throw. That's right. That's what matters, not these can he put the ball down. I mean – and I know you're a Browns fan, and I'm not trying to take a shot, but that like Baker Mayfield Hail Mary on Sunday, like that's not arm strength. The, most NFL quarterbacks should be able to throw the ball 50 to 60 yards in the air straight. Like what where you have to be able to do it is in the pocket, being able to really 
really drive the ball to outside the numbers on the line. Yeah, you're talking about getting the ball there before in, in a tight window before the defender can get there. And there were a number of throws, you know, not to pick on Baker today, but uh, you can see throws from Sunday where Baker had a window open and he's, he's hesitant to pull the trigger because there's a defender within, you know, say five yards of the play. If you don't have full faith in your arm that maybe that five yards isn't enough and that guy can close on it and jump the route. But it looks like Ellaby can make those throws without leaving that DB that kind of time. So that was one thing I noticed. I know we talked about Carson Strong before, how every highlight for him seems to be a deep ball. Where and, and he's throwing some pretty deep balls. You know, we're not talking about we're not we're not dogging him and saying that he's not throwing some good downfield completions on the deep passes. But again, like Seth said, that's not really what we're talking about with arm strength. We're talking about getting the ball there on time on these tough throws before the window closes. And because those are the plays that could be a disaster if they get picked off, those are also the plays that you need to be able to make on certain key situations. So anyway, Would, Seth, um, uh, are, are we drafting this guy? Yeah, where, are we, where are we drafting him? Let's do that. Let's let's have that conversation. So I would say right now when I watch him play, one of the guys that I, I thought of and you and I talked about it was uh, David Garrard, the old Jacksonville Jaguars uh, quarterback who was a very successful NFL quarterback for a number of years. Uh, so I don't want people to think that's like a shot. Uh, he was a good player. He was a, he was a really good player. And, and when I look at, you know, Ellaby's – style his build that's kind of what i see um you know gerard was listed at 61 235 <laughs> the way uh built is kind of similar to me you could see uh, him yeah you could see him putting on again he's listed at 210 i think he's probably about 220 from the looks of him so you could see him getting into that 230 range but gerard was a, a east carolina product and a fourth round pick and, you know, that is going to be probably the range you look at LB at right now, right? Like, I, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I, I'm not going to, I'm not moving him into, you know, our top five. I, I liked what I saw. And I do think it's, it would be fair criticism if somebody said, you, you guys should have been on him earlier as a prospect this year. Point taken. Um, we're on him now. And, uh, I think that fourth round, fifth round, that seems about where you start talking about him. Um, again, that, that's not a diss or anything like that. I don't know why he's really thinking about declaring, though, unless he's hearing from someone else that he's he, he could be a higher prospect. And it's going to be really weird until we find out who these uh, all-star games the Shrine game and the Senior Bowl in particular are inviting because we don't really know right now, except for a few cases, who's graduating before the, the December deadline to be eligible to play in these games as, as quote-unquote underclassmen. So we're talking about a lot of fourth-year sophomores or fifth-year juniors. We don't know who's actually graduating, who's actually eligible, and that's going to be pretty wild. I I think uh, Eric Galco and Jim Nagy must have their work cut out for them doing homework on those guys because... Um, yeah, who's eligible and who they can invite right. to these things. Right, right. Because um, we know 
we know all these players are draft eligible, but do they have the academics? Do they have the schoolwork done to actually qualify for these all-star games? That'll be something to watch out for. If Ellaby's eligible, then I imagine it, uh, the Shrine would be calling him, if they, especially if they know he's leaned toward coming out. Um, it seems like Senior Bowl is – we're going to talk more about this at, in the hot takes, but um, it seems like they could be jockeying for the same guys. There are two top 25 matchups before the weekend. That's different this week. Um, Wednesday, you get Coastal Carolina. Only three-and-a-half-point favorites at Appalachian State. Now, I know this is an away game, but but Coastal Carolina has cruised so far this year. When you look at this game, are you buying that Appalachian State can you know keep up we've seen a lot from javon uh healy and isaiah likely this year on offense uh healy's got 573 yards and four touchdowns isaiah likely has 513 yards receiving and eight touchdowns likely might end up being a a top 50 tight end prospect like as in top 50 prospect in the 2022 nfl draft yeah, I think he's more uh, – I think he's going to be more like a fourth-round pick like uh, Harrison Bryant a couple of years ago coming out of Florida Atlantic. But certainly he's having a big, big year. And uh, Javon Hiley, their best receiver, both those guys. We talked about Grayson McCall last week on the Patreon show and the season that he's having. He's their quarterback. And uh, we got to talk about Jeffrey Gunter, who might actually be Coastal's best overall NFL draft prospect because he's got four sacks and six tackles for loss. He's a big 260-pound uh, defensive end linebacker type. Uh, I I think I would take Coastal, even though they're given three and a half points in this game. Appalachian State has Chase Bryce at quarterback. He's a Clemson transfer and then a Duke transfer. So he's one of those uh, double double transfer quarterbacks that we've seen. Playing decently for App State, but um, I don't think he's a great prospect by any means. Uh, they do have a stud linebacker in DeMarco Jackson who's playing really well, 57 tackles and 10 tackles for loss already this year. He's also got four sacks, so that's a guy who can um, make a difference in the game. And uh, App State has a couple of, of pretty good running backs as well. But I like Coastal's overall talent. I like their the role they've been on for the last two years. So I'll take Coastal in this game, even though they're given three and a half points on the road. Yeah, and the Appalachian State quarterback probably would have been the best Clemson quarterback this year, if we're being completely honest. <laughs> well, he was so I mean, he was brutal at Duke, though. I mean, yeah, I he know. led the FBS in, in INTs, I think. So, but he's playing better this year, and uh, App State has their tough tough team uh, year in year out in that Sun Belt. So. Yeah, they're they're tough out, and, and I think the reason the odds makers are shy on this is because it's a prime time game. You know, it's a standalone alone game, and it's the kind of thing that you can get your crowd hyped up for. And interestingly enough, that's what scared us about that Maryland Iowa game, and then Iowa just came out and like <laughs> literally just beat them to death in the first quarter, where you're like, oh, why were we even worried about this? But yeah. I don't know if Coastal Carolina is that dominant at times 
Um, the other game this week that that's really interesting, and we've talked about this guy a little bit, is Tulane at number 21 SMU. SMU is getting 13.5 points behind Tanner Mordecai, who's putting, you know, the Oklahoma transfer, who's putting up just massive numbers. Yes, uh, he is a, he's classified as a redshirt junior right now. But uh, of course, he may declare 71% completion percentage, 26 TDs, seven picks. So uh, definitely piling up numbers. SMU recently has been a program where their offensive skill players can put up big stats and uh, impress evaluators in, in the NFL and on the internet alike. Uh, Danny Gray is their star receiver this year. He's a player I really like, and he was a JUCO transfer. He has 469 yards on 30 catches and seven TDs, and he is a burner. He's he's possibly a sub 4-4 guy in the 40. Uh, Reggie Roberson, he's coming back from a torn ACL last year, but he's playing pretty well, 365 yards on 27 catches, four TDs. I think he's lost a little bit of that explosiveness that he had prior to the injury. So we'll see how well he can keep working back. And then the other interesting name on SMU is Grant Calcaterra. We we remember him also from Oklahoma. And he retired because of concussion issues. And then he unretired and transferred to SMU where he's putting together a pretty productive season for a receiving tight end. 19 catches, 234 yards, 3 TDs. So there you have four skill players on SMU, and that's why SMU has worked their way into the top 25. They are 13.5-point favorites against a team in Tulane that Oklahoma beat by a narrow margin. So you've got these former Oklahoma players playing this team that Oklahoma beat narrowly in week one, favored by 13.5 points. Give me SMU in this one. I think they're going to do it. I think they'll roll. They're at home. They have the better players. Uh, I don't think it'll be a close game. Yeah. Yeah, and when you look at the this game, I'll go back to Coastal Carolina. I've got them, Coastal Carolina, covering that game. I think they're going to win 28-20 uh, to 20 in that game. Close-ish, but I think they're the better team. This SMU team, I mean, they can score points, man. And I think that you're going to see them put up points in this game, and I think they're going to win like 48 to, to 21, 28 type of stuff. So, yeah, they're you, got a hot, you got a hot take for us? Before we get to the hot takes, one more preview for you. Um, Hamlin lost to Gustavus Adolphus last weekend to drop the Pipers to 3-3 three and three on the year. Saturday, though, Piper's back at home against 3-3 three and three Augsburg. So, go Pipers, as always. Hot take. I mentioned this. I teased it. We're talking... Uh, we actually talked about the potential battle shaping up between the Shrine game, Shrine Bowl, uh, now moved to Las Vegas, and the Senior Bowl, which remains in Mobile. And... On Twitter, there's a scout, an anonymous scout, who uh, I believe actually does work for an NFL team. You know, you may you may be skeptical of this, but I believe it's true. 
Uh, it's Angry Scout Vet at Angry Scout Vet. And he tweeted the other day, if I ran the Shrine, I would avoid top four round guys now and then add in December if they're not senior bowl invite. I have always thought October is too early to invite. Injury, flipping to other game, or sitting out can happen too easily. So much time right now. So the, the Shrine is sending out invites already. It's really the earliest we've seen this happen with all-star games where they send out these early invitations. But uh, I think this guy's missing the point. That I don't think the Shrine is waiting around to see who the Senior Bowl is inviting. I think the Shrine is in direct competition. And uh, the Senior Bowl, frankly, does not have a monopoly on top four-round guys. So I, I retweeted this. I said something to the effect like, I if I was running the Shrine, I'd say, hey, it's Vegas, baby. Come on out. There's going to be a lot going on out, then, out uh, at that time of year. Uh, we know the game's going to be on February 3rd. They're moving it to it's a Thursday-to-Thursday event with the practices and prepping the game. So to me, this is the Shrine game and Eric Galco being aggressive, targeting the players that he wants in the, in his all-star game. Uh, he's got guys out there scouting. He's got our, our buddy Owen Reese. He's got NFL uh, personnel veteran Greg Gabriel. He's got legitimate guys out there scouting talent. And uh, I don't think he's afraid to get turned down or maybe to – take a guy away from the senior bowl. Yeah. In fact, it seems like his goal and he stated this is to be a, a competitive alternative for the, the senior bowl and not the smaller little brother to the senior bowl. And, and people may disagree with that, but you know, the reality is kids and, and NFL personnel teams are always going to enjoy going to Las Vegas. Yeah, and I'm not sure he's explicitly said that, but I think you know he has big plans for the game. And we, we, we talked about it over the summer when we saw that the game was moving to Vegas. It, you know, the writing is on the wall. You don't have to be uh, some kind of insider or some kind of genius to see that, that uh, it's, a, it's an aggressive move that's intended to draw the best talent. And uh, I think there's plenty of guys, there's plenty of, of players to go around. And it's, to me, it's making things much more interesting. What you had before was the Shrine game was kind of the day three picks um, or undrafted free agent types. And they, they sometimes had trouble really filling out their roster with draftable guys. Um, whereas the Senior Bowl would invite the top guys and – you know, half the top guys would turn it down or, or opt out because they're still in the playoffs or opt out because of um, training or mild uh, minor injuries or what, what have you. So now you have a more competitive situation, and uh, I'm all about it. And I think this is exciting because uh, there's, there is some overlap, but there is also a way for NFL teams to get personnel guys to both events. And I think it's going to be – beneficial to to uh us as draft Knicks, to fans of the games and uh even to nfl people to have these two competing events i think it's going to encourage more involvement from top prospects anything else before we get out of here no sir just thank you to uh, all of you who are listening and uh, thanks for subscribing give us a five-star review if you 
get the itch and uh, tell your friends subscribe and if you want our additional episode as always you can subscribe to patreon for just two dollars a month and you get an extra episode every week for four bucks a month you get a weekly article and we'll be ramping up what we put on patreon as we get into closer into the draft season so look forward to that again thanks all thanks to all of you Yep, thanks as always for listening. We'll be back later this week with our second episode for those of you that are uh, patrons. Have a good night, everybody. We need to do an outro at some point. Just something kind of... What I hear in other shows is where they're like, uh, you know, uh, subscribe and give us a five-star review. Sign up for our Patreon. It's $2 a month for our bonus episodes, $4 a month for all additional content. Something like that. Yeah, we should work on something like that. That could be it right there. A read, yeah. That's it. Exactly.